0: today. I don't know why I'm especially happy to see you all today, but I am. I'm just happy you're here. (laughs) I'm going to move over here because I've been told that I have the same habit that I've carried forward from Guelph, which is I always turn this way when I'm preaching. So I'm going to have compassion on that side and preach to you guys a little more today. Uh, That's my sermon on compassion. I need this to go up. And we didn't even have time for a sound check, so I'm kind of babbling here while he gets the sound right back there. AJ's getting it right. Um, Yeah, so we're in this series on uh, God's desire for the church, and we're just finishing it up. And uh, today I'm going to talk about compassion and God's desire for the church being compassion. And before I get started, I just want to pray and ask God uh, into uh, his word in our time together. Father God, we thank you. That this day we can look into your word, that we can open up your scripture. Mostly that we can look upon the person of Christ and learn from him. And so Father, today as we read and as we study and as our eyes are opened and our hearts are softened, most of all, Lord, we pray that the character and the person of your son is imprinted on our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've noticed, having come up to Halliburton... Am I scratching again? Oh, okay. No, it's okay. I'll fix it. I'm too far away. There we go. Better? Um, I, I've noticed since coming up to Halliburton, you guys don't have quite the same problem that we do down in Guelph as a suburbanite. Um, back in Guelph, we live in the suburbs at the time, and one of the things that we tend to find in the suburbs are lawns, right? The beautiful front lawns that look something like this. And so... You have these people that have these immaculate lawns in the suburbs, and they're out there taking care of them. I'm per- they're perfect, right? I mean, the suburban competition for a great lawn just started to get ridiculous. I mean, here's a picture of my neighbor working on his yard. Um, you know? <laughs> and uh, I just I couldn't keep up, you know? You know, for a short time, I tried sort of half-heartedly to fix up our lawn that actually looked like this. Um... And uh, yeah, that, that, that lawn, our, our lawn had problems, and it's kind of embarrassing because my first degree was in landscape architecture, so, um, the, uh, so it had problems. It had weeds, and it had grubs, and, as I, and, and I remember as I was digging in my, trying to fix it up, digging dandelions, I, I made this sort of scientific discovery that, that with every dandelion there came a grub okay they, they like to hang out together and if you dig up a dandelion you'll find one of these these grubs these kind of disgusting white larvae they're curled up near the root they're about three inches under the soil and uh, if you dig up another dandelion you dig up another grub ev- almost every time and so when I discovered these grub in my lawn I would uh, you know these wiggly kind of gross things I began to flick them with my trowel I would flick them out into the street and uh you know, and, and sort of with sort of satisfaction that these miserable little things were going out onto the concrete and the asphalt. And then as a car drove by, maybe squish one, and we uh, felt even better, right? And, and I know that God made grubs, and I know that he, you know, they're God's creatures, but they're just disgusting, right? I mean, I just had no compassion for these things. Like, there was nothing in my heart that gave me compassion for these grubs, even as they were being eaten by birds and crushed by cars, You know, they killed my lawn, they thrived in the company of weeds, they're blind, they're crawling through the dirt, they're bloated, they're ugly, disgusting little things, and they're translucent. You see that, like, some sort of intestine thing that's in there, that vein? They're just gross, right? (laughs) You know, so I'm flicking them out on the street with absolutely heartless, no, no compassion at all. You know, there's just nothing about them that could stir up any compassion in me. And, and, and what I'm getting at here and in the, in the idea is that compassion is sort of this gut level thing, right? You know how it's, you feel it. It's, it, it moves you when you feel compassion or when you don't feel compassion. And even as I describe the larvae, you know, you can kind of almost feel your stomach churning a little bit maybe as you're thinking about how we feel towards things. And in the opposite sense, a lack of compassion for the grub larvae, you know, we can feel great compassion for helpless, dirty, sometimes blind or lame creatures that we sometimes see on TV or any given day. You know, if you're watching TV and, and the commercial comes on for the puppies that are abused, you know, and, and so they put these puppies on the screen and they come from puppy mills and, and our heart just goes out to these puppies or, or to go even farther, you know, you get uh, these Uh, pictures from world vision or you're watching world vision or compassion and they have these pictures of of children who are starving and who are lost or orphaned or or caught up in in hurricanes or or uh you know an earthquake or something like that and so our heart goes out we're moved emotionally we're we're built to react at a gut level to these things we have this capacity to feel compassion and it's not just a feeling in our minds but we feel it in our bodies as well And so it's good that we can feel compassion, but we can't just let our feelings guide us alone. Our our feeling of compassion has to be informed. If I had felt compassion for the grubs in my yard, but did not feel compassion for the children in Africa, most people would consider me pathological, right? Right? or even if I felt compassion for the grubs in my yard, but I felt that compassion equally to the puppies that are mistreated, and I felt my compassion for puppies equally to children who are starving, there must be something wrong with me. I can't have equal compassion. My reaction in compassion can't be the same for grubs as puppies as children. I'd be a sociopath if that was true. So we can feel compassion, but our compassion has to be informed. It can't just be our gut-level reaction. There has to be some proper place for our compassion so where should our compassion be applied and and what should the reasons be that we feel compassion to know that it is rightly felt and that it's rightly applied what's the role for compassion as christians and what's god's desire for our church in how compassion plays a part in who we are that's what we're looking at is a right compassion and learning the compassion of god and of his son so in psalm 106 if you have your bibles you can open up psalm 106 And uh, we'll look there, and then we'll be looking uh, at Matthew 9 later on. But in Psalm 106, it reads, Many times he would deliver them. Speaking of God and the nation of Israel. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel, and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, And he remembered his covenant for their sake, and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of his compassion. And so here we read in the Psalms the testimony of God the Father, that many times God would deliver, over and over and over again, he would deliver the nation of Israel. God's compassion is for people who have abandoned their relationship for him. Okay, these are people that were rebellious in their counsel and they sank down in their iniquity. These are people who needed the compassion of God because they had abandoned God. They had abandoned their relationship with him. They were people that were sinking in their sin. They were doing things in their own way. And as a result of doing things in their own way, they were drowning. They were not succeeding. They were falling apart. They were sinning against God. They were sinning against themselves. They were reaping The nature of death in their activity. And his compassion is for those in that position that cry out to them, to him. So God's compassion is directed at people that even though they've abandoned him, they cry out to him. And it says, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. God's compassion is for their distress, he hears the cry. He's moved by the circumstances of his people. God is not heartless. He sees what's going on in people's lives. He sees how sin and iniquity and rebellion is destroying them. And he hears when they cry, and he responds in their distress, just like we do. When we see puppies in distress, or we see children in distress, or we see a nation in distress... We respond with compassion. It's built into us. We respond in this way, and God responds in this way, not heartlessly, but out of compassion for their distress when people cry out to him. But then look at 45 and 46. Pick up on this. God's compassion is informed, and it's rooted in more than emotion. It's not just a random sort of willful thing that comes and goes, or it's ungrounded. God's compassion is deliberate. It's directed and informed by the truth of his covenant with us. God sees every sparrow fall. But how much more valuable are we than sparrows? So, God's compassion is not just this sort of random compassion where he treats people equal to sparrows. Yes, he sees the sparrow fall. But his compassion is more than just an emotive response, it's more than just a response to a cry of distress. It's informed and it's rooted in the truth of his covenant with us. God's compassion for a sparrow is nothing compared to his compassion for us. His relationship with us is totally different than his relationship with the rest of his creation. And anecdotally, I know, and and I don't get this, um, I had somebody tell me once that there were dogs I love more than some people. (laughs) Now I might understand a little bit where he's coming from, and I understand sort of the the craze that, that we have with dogs and dog ownership in Canada. I mean, I don't get it, but I, I recognize it. But, but this guy, he actually said their dog, I have, I have more compassion or I love dogs more than I love some people. And where I sort of understand where that statement is coming from, I can understand the history, the background that might lead somebody to say that. At the same time, I can't understand it. If you're able to say that you love your dog or there's dogs that you would love more than some people or there's some people you love less than dogs, at the very least, that statement is a big warning sign to you that your compassion is not informed. (laughs) And so we have to use our feelings and our emotions and our responses to things at times to inform us to remind us of where our compassion should be and and as a check to what it should be like. God's compassion isn't like that. There is no dog that God loves more than us. There is no sparrow that falls that he has more compassion for than he has compassion for us because it's informed by his covenant. He remembers his covenant. God's compassion is deliberate. This is the second thing to note in the second half, is that his compassion is deliberate. He relents according to the greatness of his loving kindness, having remembered his covenant, He also made them objects of compassion. It results in action. His compassion just isn't this emotional response, but then nothing happens out of it. God hears the cry. He responds in distress. He's informed by the covenant. And then he makes those people, those people that need his compassion, he makes them objects of his compassion. It's a verb they are acted upon. We have to see compassion not just as an emotional reaction, but as a deliberate expression. The people are vessels that we can fill up with our compassion. That's sort of what I get out of that last sentence there in that poem, is that they became objects of his compassion. He said, there's a place where my compassion is placed, and he takes action. And we know all the times that he raised Israel up after the rebellion, right? You can go through the Old Testament as as it started there in the Psalms. Time after time after time, he kept returning Israel to him and returning to Israel out of his loving kindness and compassion. In Matthew 9, uh, verse 35, is where we're going next. I want to take this compassion of the Father and look at compassion in the Son and see how the compassion of Jesus is following after the model of the Father and how Jesus' compassion is also this sort of gut-level, sort of primal, emotional response, but that it's also informed and that it's purposeful. In Matthew 9 we're reading in verse 35 it says that then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd and then he said to his disciples the harvest truly is plentiful and the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus feels compassion for the multitudes, and he feels it in his gut. Some of you may have heard this before, others may not. Quick bit of Greek for you the word compassion there, Splanknizomai. It's a real easy Greek word to say. Uh, splanknizomai is the Greek word there. And what it means is literally to be moved in your intestines. That you're moved with compassion. It's like uh, we always talk about feeling things from the heart. Uh, in the Aramaic and the Greek and the Middle East, they always talked about the seat of emotion being your guts. You felt it in your gut, you felt it in your intestines. And so Jesus felt compassion for the multitudes from his gut. He's literally looking upon the multitudes and he feels sick with compassion for them because he loves them. And so he, it's, it's meant that he's just engaged at a sort of primal gut level with the. The state that they 're in the distress that they 're in, and do we feel that way towards the lost when we think about Halliburton, when we think about our coworkers, when we think about uh, the kids at school or the teenagers or the youth of the of the village, and you know i th- I think it's honest if i 'm honest that i don't always feel naturally that way most of the time that as I sort of think about the people that I engage with maybe outside of of the church and, and in, in the community, I'm not always moved at a gut level for compassion for them for the same reasons that Jesus is. That there's a real deep heart-wrenching compassion for lost people that I feel instinctively. It's something that I have to pray for. It's something that I have to seek to model myself after the character of Jesus in. It's something that I have to continually be going to God for and saying, God, remake my heart to have the same compassion that you have because I can't understand it. I can't understand a people that reject you time and time and time and time again for hundreds and hundreds of years, and yet you keep accepting them back. I don't understand even your acceptance of me as I keep rebelling against you time and time and time again, and yet you keep accepting me back. And I need to have that kind of heart, that kind of compassion for a people in a city and a world that culturally is offensive to me. It's offensive to my faith it's offensive to what i believe right it mocks god you know but we have to have a gut-wrenching compassion for people as jesus looked upon the multitudes and felt the compassion and the interesting thing here though is that because the father and jesus are one the compassion of jesus expresses itself perfectly the same compassion of his father it's for the lost Right, he's going about, understand this, he's just told us, he's going about, he's teaching the gospel and things like that, but he's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And he is moved with compassion for them because they're such miserable, poor, sick, invalids, twisted limbs and diseased. No, he's moved with compassion for them, not because of their bleeding wounds, not because of their twisted limbs. He's moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. His compassion for them was for their lostness, was for the fact that they didn't have a relationship with him. They were scattered. They were sinking in their iniquity. They didn't have a right relationship with God. His compassion wasn't just the fact that they're hungry or they're sick, that they needed healing, that they had disease. His compassion is informed and rooted in something deeper than emotion. It's easy on some level at a gut level to see people who are sick or diseased or need help or they're starving just like when you're watching compassion and have this gut level reaction and feel compassion for them out of that distress but the compassion of jesus like the compassion of god is informed it's instructed his compassion is primarily because they don't have a relationship with him they're scattered they're aimless they're going their own way they don't have a relationship with god and he's moved at a gut level for compassion for them. Yes, he heals them. Yes, he mends them. Yes, he feeds them. But most importantly, he draws them to himself and to the Father because that's what their real need is. They really need a relationship with God. If our compassion is rooted only in emotion, then where will our compassion be when we're not just offended by the culture around us, but we're deliberately attacked by the culture and people, culturally, legally, even physically? The United Church, I don't know if you know, United Church, somebody's throwing rocks through the, the stained glass windows over at the United Church just a couple of weeks ago. Harry sent out an email saying, just be on the lookout for some sort of lunatic. Uh, right? But this is, this, is, this, is where, this is where it has to move beyond a gut level because it's easy if we were with Jesus, if we were a disciple following him and the multitudes were there and they were sick and they were lame and they were hungry and we could understand the compassion of Jesus. But these same multitudes are the multitudes that are going to demand he be crucified in a few months. So where is our compassion? If our compassion is just our gut-level instinctual response and it's not informed by anything, where is our compassion when the culture turns against us? Where is our compassion when people are throwing rocks through our windows? Where where is our compassion when we see our faith mocked on TV and in movies? Where is our compassion on a more personal level when friends of ours mock us or when the the town turns against us or when our co-workers uh, sort of... uh, ostracize us or even work against us maybe to get us out of there or get us fired? Where is our compassion? Are we going to have the same gut-level compassionate response to people who are actively offending us the way Jesus has compassion for these people because they're lost? Our compassion has to be more than just a gut-level response. It has to be informed. It has to be deliberate. It has to be purposeful. It has to be Intentional and the compassion of Jesus is deliberate just like with the father it calls for action look at his response right after he says he has this compassion for these people because they're lost even though they have no relationship with him even though they're going to turn against him after everything he has done he says the harvest is plentiful pray for the lord of the harvest to send out laborers excuse me into the heart into his harvest the compassion of jesus stirs into action The compassion of Jesus is informed and deliberate and it's we need to reach these people. So as we consider the compassion of the Father and we consider the compassion of Jesus, we then consider God's desire for the church, compassion. God wants us to express compassion and have compassion for each other but also for the world in a way that supersedes just sort of a gut-level response. It's easy to have compassion for wounded puppies. You know, it's easy to have this compassionate response for people in a distant country who are starving or who are you know, hurt by an earthquake or, or families that have lost loved ones or you know, children that have you know, been victims of war or abuse. That gut-level response is good. God put it there. But our compassion also has to be informed. We have to remember that puppies are important but lost people are 10 million times more important. That yes, we need to care for people and have mercy upon people who are hurting, mercy upon people who are sick and who are lame, but we also have to have mercy and compassion on the people who are going to turn against us. The people who are not obviously sick and wounded, but who have wandered away from the faith or never had a faith or are doing things their own way. And this can be difficult because there's Hard to have compassion sometimes when when people are living in that first house, right? When they have the perfect house and the perfect lawn and the perfect job, you know, and double income, no kids, lots of money, you know, Audi in the driveway, and you think they don't need anything. God looks on a city like that, and Jesus looks on a city like that with compassion, not because they're sick and they're wounded and bleeding and lame, but because they don't have a relationship with him. They don't have a relationship with the Father. We have to have as much compassion for those people who seem like they have it all together as we do for the children and the families and the mothers that we see on World Vision. Our compassion has to be informed. So God's desire for the church is this compassion for the lost, compassion even for enemies, compassion for Christians who stumble, compassion that is extravagant and compassion that is small. What do I mean by that? We need to reject sin, but have compassion on the sinners. As I mentioned, the the people that Jesus taught and healed and fed also demanded that he be put to death. Jesus rejected their sin, but he died for them. Jesus had no place for their rebellion. He had no interest in their iniquity other than to die for it and to save them. We have to be a people that reject sin, but have compassion on sinners. When people come through our door, we have to be a people that have compassion for those that are lost, those that are suffering, those that are sheep without a shepherd, so that we can love them and have compassion on them and lead them back into the fold. Secondly, we need to have compassion on our enemies, to have compassion like Jesus for our own personal enemies. We have to pray that our anger gets transformed into mercy. We can be so angry at the hurt and the sin and the damage and the offense of people that sin against us, and I've been there We're so angry at somebody that we're blind to the fact that their offense and what they've done wrong is exactly the reason they need mercy. The fact that they have sinned against us and offended us and done something hurtful that made us so angry in our heart that we miss the fact that what they need is not our anger. They need our mercy. They need our compassion. Because something in them they're struggling with and they need to be led back to the flock they are the lost sheep and that's what jesus saw his compassion was informed even though these people were throwing rocks at him and demanding he be crucified and you know spitting on him and pulling his beard and all these things his wasn't anger his response was mercy and so we need to have compassion on our enemies We need to inform our compassion and say our compassion can't just be for the people we love. Our compassion has to be for those that need mercy, as Jesus had compassion on those that need mercy. Thirdly, compassion on Christians who stumble, not being judgmental, but coming alongside them to bring them back into the fold, to guide them back onto the path. And if we're to have compassion of Jesus, we have to treat stumbling Christians with mercy and be, as we talked about last week, burden lifters and not burden placers. You know, it's funny, sometimes we have more compassion for sinners that come through our door than we do for our own brothers and sisters who stumble and need help right in our midst, right? I mean, if there was a teen, pregnant teenage single mom out there, and she came in and had to deal with the being pregnant and, and no church and no family, think of the compassion we would pour out on that young woman coming through our front door. I trust we would. What if one of our teenagers gets pregnant? <laughs> the response going to be the same? Is there as much compassion for Christians who stumble in the church as there is for sinners who come through the door? Right? And it's natural. It's easy to do that. We do that in our own families, right? That we tend to have compassion for people outside the family more than inside the family. And this is where I talk about co- compassion that's extravagant but also small compassions. We need to be extraordinarily compassionate to our enemies and to the world and to the people that offend us and to the people that come in who are broken and who cause damage but we also have to be compassionate in small ways. We have to have compassion in the everyday to the closest people around us. So husbands and wives, be compassionate to each other, right? The beginning of a better marriage may not be waiting for your spouse to straighten up and do something better, right? And every marriage gets in that spot where you talk in that language. If she would just do it better, or if he would just straighten up, right then our marriage would be better the beginning of a better marriage may not be some sort of rule keeping or corrective measure or you know if they would just stop doing that or start doing this the beginning to a better marriage may begin with the showing of compassion to each other having compassion on your husband or your wife rather than waiting for them to improve Your children need compassion. They need discipline, they need guidance, they need teaching, they need correcting, but they also need compassion. I mean, it's so hard to be a teenager in any age, but especially in this age, it's really hard to be a teenager. Your children and your teens need your compassion. So we need to be compassionate in extravagant ways, in the ways that we talked about, to the world that's offensive and offends us and attacks us legislatively, legally, physically, <laughs> culturally. We need to have the big extravagant compassion to the world out there. We need extravagant passion to the people that come through our doors and who need mending and who need their wounds bound up and need our love. We need extravagant compassion to Christians who stumble in our midst and to our enemies. But we also need these small daily compassions to the people that are closest to us. Because sometimes the extravagant compassion is easier than the little compassion. To the people that are closer to you, right? Everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. <laughs> so the small compassions are important, too. Imagine if we were a church, if we were a people, a body of believers, that in a few months or a year or two from now, that if you were to walk out into the community of Halliburton, and you ask that community, what is so special about Lakeside? Their answer would be, they're a compassionate people. if the world recognized that in this place you could find compassion, or if the world recognized that people from this place were ambassadors of, of compassion, that this, the village, the county, the, the partners that we have, the relationships that we have with the pregnancy care center or with 4Cs or whatever we're doing, that the byword on the street was lakeside is a place of compassion. They're a compassionate people. And we do do these things. You know, I want to encourage you that Jesus is at work at Lakeside. This is not a scolding sermon, right? We are doing awesome things. And I see the compassion in families who share their goods, and they share things with each other. People who are blessed financially and people who aren't blessed financially. Families sharing what they have with those who are in need. I see that it is the heart of many to bless people who are around you. Bless people in the church, bless people outside of the church, right? And that pleases God. Parents who have lost children, and instead of being swallowed up in grief over their loss, they're a source of encouragement to others. Rather than letting that loss discourage them and, and drown them, they take that hurt, and any hurt, illness, so many hurts that we've all experienced in a Second Corinthians mentality to this, to take what we have gone through and people are using that and rather be, than being swallowed up in it, they're encouraging others in it. I see that. goes on, I'm thinking literally, I literally see it three or four times a week. I see it all the time. And it's going on a lot more than that. People who are taking the most difficult part of their lives and using that pain to inform their compassion. That's what I mean by an informed compassion. That we're not just reacting out of emotion, but we're reacting in an informed way. We're guiding and shaping our compassion. And I see the gentleness and the patience and the love that many of you have to unbelievers and to the most vulnerable people in our county. You know, Shepherd's Table, case in point. What a fantastic ministry to demonstrate compassion. Sort of corporately and individually. So praise God that... Jesus is transforming us into a compassionate people. And from that, I just want to leave you with one more compelling picture of Jesus' compassion. And it's in Matthew 23. So we were in Matthew 9, flip forward to Matthew 23. It's very near now to the crucifixion. And Jesus is outside of Jerusalem, and he's standing on a hill looking over Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. And so Jesus is outside Jerusalem somewhere with his arms spread, and he says, I I would gather you, Israel, I would gather you, Jerusalem, like a mother hen. Like a like a mom has compassion on her children, right? And his heart is breaking for his people. His compassion is personal. He's a personal savior. He's born a Jew. It's his people that he is crying out over right now. Outside of the city that's about to crucify him. And so I imagine this picture of Jesus' compassion and and We had a chance when my mom was up. I imagine if he was outside of Halliburton. And you know that spot on Skyline Park. I have a picture of it. You know that spot on Skyline Park where you can stand and you can see the city. You can see the village. You can see the county. And so you can imagine if Jesus was there, standing at Skyline Park, he'd be crying the same cry. It's Jesus' compassion for us, for the people that he would want to gather Halliburton in under his wings. The compassion of Jesus is that he wants to gather I would gather you all under my wings but you rejected me. Or if Jesus was here on this stage if Jesus was right here now looking at us his cry would be the exact same. He'd be saying I want to gather you in under my wings but some of you are rejecting me some of you are wayward some of you are offended by me you know some of you are are sort of putting me to death daily just get out of my life Jesus I'm doing my thing you know but he's still up here he's still got his arms open to the city open to the church open to his people that he was born into his compassion is that people would come to him and you might be out there thinking I can't measure up And he says, you don't have to measure up because I have compassion for you. And I know that you're a dust. I made you what you are, and I know everything that you are and everything you will be. I don't ask you to do things that I don't prepare you for. You don't have to measure up because I have compassion for you. Or you could be saying, but I've run away from Jesus my whole life. And Jesus would say, hey, I know all about a prodigal son. And I'm the father of prodigal sons. And you run to me and I'll run to you. Or you might be like the thief on the cross. And you've lived your whole life as a criminal. Or maybe just a violent, immoral person. Maybe outside or maybe just up here. Or even just thinking immorally, trapped in a mental life. But Jesus only wants you to acknowledge him as God and as a fully sufficient payment for all the evil that we've done, all the sins that we've done, all the mistakes that we've made, all the hang-ups that we have, all the sin that's been done to us, all the damage that we've caused around us. God is a fully and sufficient payment in Jesus for all that we've done. And he has compassion on us, on this village, on the county. So Jesus has fasted and prayed and wept for you and for me and for Halliburton and for the county and for the world and his heart is breaking. He's feeling compassion at a gut level to show us his mercy. And so you don't have to be outside of that compassion and God's desire for the church is that nobody would be outside of that compassion in his church. That inside this church, Everybody here will be brought in under the wings of that compassion. That inside this village or this county, everybody would feel that they could come in to God's compassion in this place. God's desire for the church is that we have a gut-level, real, heart-gut-wrenching compassion for people because they're lost. But that it be an informed, active compassion. That we take action to love them to show them love, to have compassion for their lostness, and that that compassion be found in his church. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks. I thank you for just these few simple pictures of your compassion. That what was true from the beginning of time is true with your people of Israel, is true with your people in the New Testament, which is true your people in the church age, and us here today. That these simple pictures of your compassion, you're continually waiting, arms spread, for us to come in and experience this compassion. The fact that your compassion is informed, that your heart is for everyone to come to know you, that your compassion is present here this morning, that you are standing over the village you're standing on this stage you're standing over our lives and your arms are spread out wide asking us to enter into your compassion that you are moved for us so father i just pray that you would take this and that you would make it real in our lives that we would have compassion for our enemies we would have compassion for a culture that hates us hates you We would have compassion for people that offend us personally, that we would take our anger and turn it into mercy, that we would have compassion for people who have done horrible things but are looking to repent and to repair and to come to you. That we would have compassion for each other in this body of Christ, for our brothers and sisters that may or may not have offended us or may or may not do something really stupid tomorrow. I'm one of them that our anger would be replaced with mercy and that we would have compassion on one another and that we would become known as a body of believers, as a place in this village where compassion can be found because we're expressing the compassion of your son. Father God, take our hearts, take our personalities, take our whole being and mold us and make us more like your son and his compassion. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.